0: Welcome, everybody, to The Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett, and on today's episode, we have the CEO of Marrowpost, Mr. Ross Paquette. Now, Ross is an absolute legend when it comes to accelerating and growing businesses. He 11X a company in less than 24 months, took them from around doing $3 million a year to well over $30 million a year, and they're now $100 million a year company. And I just wanted to find out how do you go about that? What does that look like? Running two offices in two different cultures. If you've been someone who's wanted to grow fast, this is the episode that you need to listen to. you need to tune into. And of course, if you ever need help with marketing to help you grow fast, you can just head over to www.mogulcall.com. But until then, let's jump into the show with Ross. Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, so much, or thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, I always like to kick off the podcast with the same question every single time, which is, if I met you at a party and we're having a drink together and we're chatting away, and I said to you, Ross, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer?
1: So I start off, again, given the SaaS space, which I do reside in, by just simply saying I'm, I'm in the tech space. So I run a company called Maripost. Maripost develops products, again, in, in the SaaS atmosphere, so software as a service, mainly across marketing automation, e-commerce, and, and transactional messaging. So what, what that means is our, our marketing automation tools would be you know, things like customer journeys, workflows, lifecycle automation, email push in-app messaging, uh, SMS in terms of delivery. So essentially, the the core, somewhat of the backbone of any of any marketing team, regardless of whether you're in the you know B2B or B2C space. Well, of course, our, our market though is is mainly selling to companies who are selling to the B2C space. And then we've we've recently jumped into the more transactional atmosphere. So for any of your tech savvy listeners, very similar to what a, a SendGrid or a Twilio or a SparkPost might do. That was natural for us, given the backbone of our our original platform being on the marketing automation side, was email, SMS, and and so on and so forth. And then our our newest product that we've launched, which is is obviously very compelling in in today's market as well, uh, is we've launched our own e-commerce product. So much like a Shopify Plus centered more, though, for the, the mid-market to enterprise. So covering everything from storefronts to order forums to subscription billing to advanced reporting and dashboarding and so on and so forth as well.
0: And you guys have seen some pretty crazy growth. And I know the, the guys sent over yeah. before we jumped onto this, some of the results. And I think one of it was like almost like 11 times growth. I think it was in, I think, it was, was it a year?
1: Yeah, in, in a year. Yeah, so over the course of probably 28 months, we went from around, 300,000 in revenue to 20 million or 22 million in revenue. So so pretty significant jumps in, in a really short amount of time.
0: And what was it that that drove that? And what was the difference? Like how long did it take you to get to 300K and then from 300K for that yeah. kind of astronomical rise, what was the difference there?
1: Yeah, it wasn't much. So so the zero, it was kind of an interesting background. I'll try to keep it brief, but Mariposa is completely bootstrapped. So we didn't have any investors. I was working at Uh, another tech company coincidentally in sales and essentially what ended up happening is started up the company it was probably about two or three years of sort of that zero to three hundred thousand because again I was working as well and just getting the product in the right state of course you run into a number of different you know issues whether that be your, your partner in that endeavor which which I ran into and then subsequently found another one. But once we got to that 300 and I realized, okay, like, oh, I'll leave my, my current role and the product has reached a state where we can really sign up anyone, that became really a differentiating factor. And so it was only 28 months from the 300 point to the 22 million point. So again, extremely fast from there. And then of course, our, our growth has been pretty consistent since then.
0: So what was the what was the fuel on the fire obviously you figured out that it's going to be suitable you can onboard pretty much anyone that you want to you've got it all obviously working effectively what were some of the maybe the two or three biggest factors that contributed to that exponential growth because i think a lot of people they're yeah. like i got to 300k and then i didn't go to 20 million like in the next yeah, 24 right months now. you know what what uh, yeah, what were some of the so factors bright. there
1: yeah. So we were only, and, and funny thing I should add, disclaimer, is that when we were at the 20 million or so, we only had about 25 people in the company. And we were even at the, you know, as you saw at the sort of 3.3 to even 13 million, we only had about 10 people in the company. So it was still extremely small. And I say that on the on the premise of, of the the next statement I'll make, which is around your question we really just focused on the customers and the product customer support. Like I, I was the customer support agent as well as the sales rep and the, you know, CEO and so on and so forth. So, you know, we followed, I would say just that still that same approach where the customers were the most important factor, the product development and innovation became the key area. And I think we were fortunate enough that as we continue to bring on new customers, they, of course, you know, shared our story and sort of our background and of course our product with their counterparts within within the industry. And it was just very exponential from there. So the bulk of our customer base, even to, to this day, about 40 to 50%, I'd say now, comes from word of mouth. So as in, it's not from conferences or, or you know, ad campaigns or, or any of our other more traditional strategies. And, and so that's been really unique. And again, because we are more mid-market to enterprise centric, our product is quite expensive so we're you know our customers paying on average around 75000 per year for for the service of course we have very small customers
0: but we also have very large ones as well so was there any incentivization programs? Did you go in? You guys go into it thinking like we're gonna focus on word of mouth, or how did you build that no, out? That's, that's what I mean. Yeah, so we didn't do
1: anything. There was no expectation. There was definitely no strategy. People were just doing it on their own. So do, we've never had any kind of affiliate programs or referral programs. Not to say we haven't looked or, or thought about doing that, but um, nothing on that front. You know, it's and it's interesting as we are, are looking to sort of expand our, our expand sorry, our sales model to not not only be direct sales which is what we are today into more of the self-service market it's interesting to hear some of the stories around what you know companies are paying from a referral or or lead gen perspective and it explains a lot i think around the saas space in general these days why companies in a lot of cases need so much capital to grow because the cost per you know customer acquisition costs are just so high
0: so what was the difference between your software and others on the market? Because obviously for people to talk about it that much at that time, there had to be some pretty big standout things because otherwise it's like I use lots of software and if people ask me, I'm like, yeah, I use this, but I'm not necessarily... I'm right. not going to put my name behind it. Yeah, yeah. going as, as hard as, as that and you know that that growth obviously yeah. attributes to it. So what, was the, what do you think was some of the key differences at that time?
1: Yeah. So, so product wise, I mean, we, we built a lot of technology very quickly, you know, on the specific side of things, like our, our AB multivariate testing was, was extremely robust segmentation, our, our journey kind of automation builder was, was really advanced, you know, some of our reporting, it it was really, there's nothing in particular, like there's no three or four features actually that I could think of that really moved the needle. I think it was just that the industry was moving forward and we were you know at actually I wouldn't even say we were at pace we were definitely ahead of where the industry was going so there was a lot of excitement being driven around that side right it's it's quite similar to what you see every you know 6 to 12 months around you know okay now we're talking about ai and now we're talking about relational tables and now we're talking about machine learning and so on and so forth and there's there's always that you know kind of interest in in those areas and because we kept i think hitting those chords and and sorry in a usable manner is the other thing i mean I could use AI as the example where people hear AI and like, oh, we need to buy that, and then nobody ever implements anything related to to whatever they saw, because it doesn't frankly quite quite exist. But what we were building, we actually actually existed, actually had, actually could implement, and actually drove results for our customers, and that was the most important factor.
0: And how did you find it personally? Obviously, you you had a background before in tech and you were in a company, but then managing and being the CEO of a company that's doing 300k versus 20 million I would have to anticipate you've got new new problems popping up all that uh, you have to deal with how did you how did you manage that
1: yeah so that I mean that's that's interesting I mean over the we we have an interesting story especially over the last number of years so on the people side of things I've always had a unique view you know whether it be culture or just just my outlook or expectation around our team and it's always been driven around work ethic because as a company we we started just with a, an extremely strong work ethic. As I mentioned, we, we had to do all of the work ourselves. And what I said before, Ross was the support rep. Like he was handling the, the tickets, not just Ross, but the various others, my partner, Jay, he, he would have to get on calls with customers and and go through, you know, kind of tech support tickets and issues and so on. I think because of that, we really have this appreciation towards that side of things. So our, you know, Of course, it's adapted over the last, you know, nine years, but our view really resides on if we find, you know, sort of birds of a feather type individuals, we really resonate well with them and can really manage and lead them well. Unfortunately, that's not the entire workforce. And unfortunately, not everybody you hire or everybody you want to retain in your company follows along with that specific view. So adapting to that side has been, you know, hasn't been the the hardest, but certainly hasn't been the easiest. There's been a lot of, you know, Mistakes or or errors made around, you know, hiring and around individuals and their backgrounds and how those are really going to work at, you know, at Maripos specifically. And I think, you know, as I talk to my counterparts, it's it's really the same for everyone, and that's why it's interesting to see how, you know, especially today and in this, you know, post COVID world, what things are going to look like from a hiring perspective and and how important it's going to be to not hire twenty five people because we all think it's a good idea. But to hire five really great people, and I have a, a bit of a philosophy as well that that relates back to that that statement, which is more of the slow and steady wins the race approach, right? Which has not become the common theme in the you know Silicon Valley technology space. Right? It's always how do we get to a billion or or how do we sell the company or how do we go public as fast as humanly possible and. Because that hasn't been our approach, right? We've been able to learn from our, our mistakes very quickly and, and hopefully iterate
0: and, and make good decisions from there. For, for small and medium business owners that are listening to this and they're hearing you talk about the pitfalls of, of hiring and whatnot, what are some of the big mistakes that you found out about early on that now you've kind of been able to patch over and go, cool, we won't do that again? Like, What are some of the, the really the ones that really stuck with you?
1: Yeah, so, so I'd, I'd go with probably two, two or three areas here in particular. So, so number one, I, I think that in any business, right, you, 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 of course, look for people who have been successful in, in a similar role elsewhere. And I think that's, it's a misconception, not in that you shouldn't be doing it, but it's a misconception in that what made somebody successful at one company may not make them successful at, at your company or, or my company in any event. And so really paying attention to the atmosphere that they're coming from and how it aligns with your potential atmosphere, I think is a very important discussion or internal conversation for any, you know, CEO, executive manager to, to think of, because, you know, I'll give you an example, and I don't want to be too specific because it relates to somebody at Maripos, but we hired somebody, Fortune 500 company thinking like this, you know, person was phenomenal. And again, great resume, great track record at, at that company. But Mariposa is not a Fortune 500 company and so the atmosphere that they again moved into, while still great, was just not, frankly, not the same and there was a lot of friction and a lot of stress that came along with that because it's not just because the role was different or because even the company was different, it's all the other little things. The marketing strategy was different, the culture is different, the management structure is different, the the systems, processes and approach are, are different. And so, yeah, again, anybody in, you know, the SMB or, or mid, you know, mid sized business arena today, you know, I think we, we, we sort of see that and we're like, oh, maybe that gentleman or, or woman will be able to do that here. And so we, we doubled down on that approach. And unfortunately I've had, uh, or Mariposa has had, you know, two pretty impactful scenarios like that where, where it really, it really hurt. And it really set us back by, you know, a good 12 to 18 months in terms of that because, you know, any executive you hire, any manager you hire has that, that long tail on their, you know, approach because then they go and they hire people. And then when you start to unravel all of that, it's just, it's just a bit of a mess that I think people don't, don't realize they're signing up for. So being very careful on that side of things is, is critical. The other area that I think is, is extremely important when it comes to this. And especially again, as we, we expand and we, we look at these, you know, the, the, hiring practices or the profiles that, that we're hopefully all going to be much more specific on as we, we move forward after the current state of the, of the world, is, is having a good system in place. So for a long time, I don't even know what we used, frankly. It feels like we maybe used email and Excel and a number of things. I mean, th- this is back a number of years, but the great thing with the the, the technology space these days, not not being Maripos, but just in general, is that there's so many amazing systems out there for managing people and hiring and well, and in my belief, holding people accountable, you know, to their metrics and so on is quite difficult. Just just tracking it is quite difficult. So having a good system in place, you know, that's cost effective, of course, as well. I, I think is is a really strong move. So as an example, uh, and I'm not saying this as an advocate for their product, but I, I think it's great. We use Bamboo HR. It's five dollars per employee per month. I mean, that is in a in you know extremely low cost, in my opinion, compared to. The information that we're able to track and gather and store within that application. So those small kind of little investments here and there, I think are really helpful. And again, just being more tool centric than being more labor centric, as in, instead of having somebody try to keep this all organized in a Google Drive file, they can just go into Bamboo HR, plug in the individual, automatically manages all of their employment agreements and changes and contracts and performance reviews and ENPS scores. I mean, it's, it's very helpful. So I'd say those, those would be two of the core areas that, that I, I highly recommend, especially for anybody in just that early stage of wanting to keep things you know, clean and organized so you can focus on the business.
0: I'm going to have to check that out, Bamboo H. My general manager yeah. listens to all these podcasts. So, uh, Christy, check that out. Where, forgive me, I'm not sure on this. So, with your company then and your organization, are you guys all, are you obviously at the moment different? Are you generally remote? Are you all in one big office? What's the setup and atmosphere you run with normally?
1: Yeah. So, we actually have two offices. They're they're split about 60-40 in terms of people, 60-40% that is. So, we have office in Toronto, of course, are, are actually both locations are sort of our HQ. And then we have an office in, in uh, Chandigarh or Mohali, India as well. And so my, my CTO is partner is, is uh, from there. And, And of course that was actually our first office. It has long been our largest team, not, not on purpose, just, just sheer by sheer growth and, and capacity. And sort of the examples, as I mentioned around the product side of things, of course we have a strong development team and we do have development in, in Canada as well. And most of the teams, have representation on both sides with the exception of of sales, I believe is the only one other that I can think about it. So we've got people in, in both locations and they
0: all work, you know, in relative unison. And the atmosphere, do you have a, you mentioned the atmosphere and the culture. Is it pretty much synonymous where it's like you work into Toronto or you're walking in India and it's like the same sort of vibe or what's the, what's the feel close. like? Yeah, yeah,
1: with the exception of the, the, just the cultural differences, it's pretty much the same. I mean, we we look to mimic the style of both offices, the, you know, the, the philosophies or views or values of, of the individuals in both offices, that actually is a key point, I suppose you could say over the last 24 months in particular is making everyone feel like, you know, like we're all one company, same team. It's, it, you know, it, it is all Maripos, but at the end of the day, you know, fortunately, sometimes the Indian team feels like they're, they're a bit of the outsiders, you know, and, and there's not this cross communication. So we've we've really done a great job of ensuring that's brought together as in of course now we're all you know working remotely but making sure that there's always video for doing you know meetings on both sides so there's that personal touch and and you know stronger kind of communication aspect of it all.
0: So I have got to ask because obviously everyone's thinking technology company software do you just have you know sleep pods and bean bags and ping pong <laughs> tables everywhere or uh, what's the office set up like?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that the team laughs at me, because I always use the beanbag chair approach when I talk about sort of the perks of of what has sort of been strenuous on the, the tech space. But uh, to answer your question, no, we, we don't have any of that. I mean, we do have nice offices, but you know, we have lunches brought in once a week, I would say that's like our best, you know, kind of perk outside of the, the general benefits and so on that we have, We we actually we do a fair amount. I mean, we have had know some massage it, but we don't have yeah we don't have that kind of you know google-esque setup in the office space Now we're more assembly lined approach i suppose you could say in a good way
0: yeah and so with that what are some of the things that you've instilled then in within the culture obviously you mentioned there's the work ethic and things like that obviously especially with technology and computer-based focused stuff and with people realizing that it's obviously can be uh, high stress not only on on the brain the eyes the body as well you know that sort of stuff with with the culture that you've built there and and the atmosphere that you've built up what are there are there any kind of key takeaways that you can again share for some of the you know the guys that are in the in the growth phase that they could look to adopt and, and bring in early on to save them in the long run?
1: Yeah. So uh, great question. Sort of two answers to that in that on, on one hand, I do believe that that right now, like today, you know, and and for the coming certainly at least weeks potentially with people working from home, they are actually overworking themselves. So some of those things that you're you're talking about are actually the most important right now, maybe not four months ago, they, they were not as important, but it, it is key. And I, I don't necessarily know that we've done anything different. But we have really paid attention to that, as in at the executive level, like we've had conversations around like, do we want to just much actually like a couple other companies, Google's done this as well, but do we want to give people a couple extra days off, even though we know they're probably going to do work on those days, because they're in their homes or apartments, and really, frankly, can't do much else. So that, that's been something that sort of floated, we've been paying more attention to that. But when we go back to, you know, just what we would do normally, and what we will do in, nor- in normal course, and what would be recommended there's one actually company that, that we work with as well. Again, ironically, it's another app or, or tech solution. What they've done is they've integrated the benefits side of things with, you know, kind of the health and wellness aspect. And the company's called League and coincidentally they're, they're out of Toronto, Canada, but I, I think most of their business is done in the, in the U S and, the first time I saw this product, and again, I'm rarely blown away by products. I mean, even with using the bamboo HR example, I knew what we were seeing there. What blew me away there was just the cost of it—that it was so it was so reasonable. But with this product, what they do, so you have your benefits, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know about Australia, but in Canada, I, I never in my entire career have submitted. A receipt, or, or you know, for for prescription, or for a massage, or for a doctor's appointment, or for what I've never done it. Not, and I don't, it's not because I haven't done those things. It's because of just the aggravation of going through the process has been a nightmare. And so I, I, I use this as an example because what they have inside of this app is, is really everything. You, so you can a mental health professional, you can speak to a doctor, nurse, you can speak to a chiropractor. I think there was something recently around. Dermatologist, you can do all of this through this app that's that's provided to you and connected to your benefits program so that everything you do within there requires no, you know, submitting forms and receipts and emails to to the HR team or the finance team. I, I felt that was a huge turning point for us. And I, I don't know, you know, what their structure is for, you know, for for smaller businesses in particular. I mean, we're not large, we're only 150 people. I'm, I'm not saying that's that's small, but at the same time. I don't know what programs they would have for that, but that was a really great point for us to make a small investment as we saw it, but create a huge impact to the day-to-day living, you know, that people go through, right? As in, if I, you know, I I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but the situations I've heard from our our employees over the years, you know, if they're dealing with something, sometimes they don't have the time because they're in the office to actually go and speak to somebody about maybe issues they're going through or about, you know, health and and wellness issues that they're, they're having. And I think that just trying to make that easier makes it easier, both of course on the team, but also on the company itself. So that was, that was a really important factor. So I I would encourage again, and no promotion for the company, but I I truly believe in that product or where that is going. And so I would encourage people to look and see if they can use that service at their business, because again, similar to Bamboo HR, the cost base was, was the same. And, and again, when you think about how much companies spend on benefits, large or small, especially in, in, you know, thinking of the US, I think Australia is a little more like Canada, but it's insane amounts of, of money. and So that, that I, I think that would be an important factor to explore. That's awesome. I love that.
0: And was it, can you just say the name of it again? Just because I missed yeah,
1: it. it. literally League. So like league. Hockey League or, or oh, yeah, okay. League, Soccer League. Yeah. Uh, League.com dot, dot I believe it is
0: actually. And now, I I always like to kind of, as we wrap up our time here together, ask one question the same to everyone. Um, What's one question that I didn't ask you that I should have?
1: Uh, There's probably a number of them. I'm sure we could carry on here for for a couple hours. But it it really depends. You know, I'm not trying to put the question back on you, but it depends on what you feel is most important
0: to your listeners. No one's one no thing. one's ever flipped the question back on me before.
1: <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I would ask you that because I think your listeners, you know, are, are people that you're familiar with and, and have your connection with. So, what do you feel would be, you know, really helpful for them? I mean, I could certainly talk about our, how important, you know, profitability is, or how important, you know, culture is, both at the, you know, on the ownership uh, founder, however we want to call it, level, and for the team themselves. We can, you know, talk about innovation. I mean, there's a number of areas that I would typically go to, but I, yeah, I I feel that you might have a good sense for what people really might value it, you know, maybe within those areas.
0: I love that. I love that. Flipping it back to me. That's great. Sorry. No, no, no. It's it's good. I love it. So, for example, the service-based business owners are a lot of who we have tune in, whether they're similar to us and they might run agencies and agency work or they uh, work with uh, people and they provide education, information, things like that. Obviously, being that you're in SaaS and tech, slightly different, but... How would you apply innovation to those types of businesses, especially with the being as it is, as it is at the moment? Um, is there anything that you can kind of observe at you know the the higher level and the the fields that you play in that might be applicable to the, to to people in in service based industries as well?
1: Yeah, so service based is is difficult and and always interesting to me. I mean, so we have a very literally insignificant portion of our company is service-based. And, and the reason for that, I mean, is, is, of course, we are in the SaaS space and what we can provide services for, for many things. We, we really choose not to. And that, that it, I'm not telling anybody not, you know, to shut down your business and, and move on. But the basis for that statement is that much like my views that I, you, you've probably seen online and, and I'm sure some have shared before our chat that I'm a big believer in in the profitability side of things. And so I I mentioned that as it pertains to the service side of things and that you really have to be even stronger in in terms of your your views and opinions around profit when you're running a service business. Because as you just mentioned, what we're seeing right now, you know, detrimental is not even a total understatement as to, to what this situation is going to be towards service business. and So the more prepared, you know, I think obviously, I think this statement is obvious, but more prepared anyone could be or could have been before COVID, you know, to, to maintain and work through and, and and avoid sort of the struggles as part of what's happening over, let's call it the last, what is it, two and a half months or, or up, upwards of three months now. I hope this is a really, a strong learning lesson for those individuals who, who work their way out of it in that, you know, it again, going back to one of my earlier points, it doesn't always have to be, we have to build it up to sell or we have to grow by all costs. Like there is a value in terms of the profitability of a business. And if I frankly were running a service business, I would be looking for, you know, 30 to 50% profit at, at a minimum, because things change all the time, right? There's there's no shortage of agencies or, or, again, service organizations across any vertical going out of business. And I think that's really something that, that again, has sort of been ignored as part, part of the culture that we've you know, again, thinking of SaaS or, or, or tech, or even again, MarTech agencies and so on and so forth, have gotten into where it just becomes this more of like, let's spend everything we make to hopefully grow and hopefully get acquired and or hopefully raise capital from, you know, parties XYZ. I don't believe in that philosophy. I've never believed in that philosophy. I'm not saying there aren't situations where, you, you know, it absolutely makes sense to, to follow those paths. But in my experience, I would say a good, you know, Ninety percent plus, you know, shouldn't be be following that methodology. And unfortunately, again, I I am part of the the industry or the vertical that I think has had the most, you know, kind of toxicity around that. And you're you're seeing a lot of pushback in in terms of that as well in in the tech community. And I would like to see again more more businesses just like I'd love to I love hearing about companies are like been around for fifteen years, profitable you know, still growing growth is, you know, is always, I think, a mandatory metric. I don't believe in the, you know, grow to a certain state and then fully cut, you know, kind of stop and milk the, the profits out of the business. But I think there's a happy medium that can happen there. So so bringing, bringing it back to just kind of my answer, it's how important profitability is to, to a business, certainly a service based one, and to prioritize that, you know, in, in a meaningful way, whether that's Finding inefficiencies and, and of course, covering those by using more technologies. I obviously, I'm a big advocate for the tech space. But I think that's just so important. And, and it's something that, you know, I, I've done for most of my, my time at NeuroPost. And I, I will continue certainly to, to do that moving forward as well.
0: Amazing. Great takeaway for everyone there. Now, uh, if everyone's been listening and they've been going, look, this guy sounds really cool. I want to find out more about Maripost, more about yourself as well. Where's the best place for them to, to yeah. go online and connect?
1: For sure. So there's a couple different areas here, so I'll try to keep this short. But obviously for, for the company, Maripost.com, so M-A-R-O-P-O-S-T.com, as the courier there. For, for myself personally, I'm not Super big on on social media in terms of just my my general content, but I tend to share most about my life through Instagram. So it's just at Ross Andrew. Uh, Twitter is where where you'll find me advocating the betterment of the world and the tech space, and, and more or less every possible conversation. Not in a day to day approach, but anything. Same thing. It's uh, at Ross Andrew there as well. I'd say those would be the yeah the best resources if you're, you're looking to find out more. And of course, happy to speak to anybody if they ever. One additional insight, my email is certainly not a secret. It's just ross at Maripost.com.
0: There we go, guys. So wherever you're watching or listening to this, uh, look around this and we'll have uh, all those links in the show notes so you can click through and easily connect with Ross and find out more about Maripost as well. Ross, thank you so much for making the time to call in and, and join us today. really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, same to you. I appreciate you having me as well.
0: Thank you very much.